Good morning, everyone. Um, my name is Kim Rance, and this is my wife, Carla, and we've been attending TCC for approximately eight months. And we're very uh, happy to be part of this uh, group of believers. The scripture reading today will be from Luke 5, 1 to 11, from the NIV version. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Genesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he had said to Simon, Put out into deep water and let the nets down for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' feet and said, Go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid, from now on you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up ashore, left everything, and followed him. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Kim and Carla. It's Happy New Year, Twilliger Community Church. It is good to be together uh, this morning and open the Word of God together. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, I encourage you to grab one. There's some at the usher stations at the entrance. And uh, yeah, we'll be looking at Luke 5 and a couple other uh, passages this morning. Well, it's that time of year where I'm sure that my inbox looked a lot like yours in your email or your social media feeds looked a lot like mine. I was receiving emails that said things like, make spiritual progress this year. Or one that said, read the Bible with us in 2023. I feel like a few of you might have gotten that one. Um, another one that simply said, meet your goals in 2023. One said, find freedom from sin in 2023. I was like, oh, wow, that'd be awesome. Um, another, and then I go to my news feed and social media. You get things like a new diet for 2023. Start your year. Right, new workouts for a new year, all sorts of advertisements and emails and different things inviting and calling us uh, to something. And at this time of year, advertisers are really smart because they're preying on something in us as people, as human beings, we have this desire and this longing uh, to become certain types of people. And we love temporal landmarks. We love these, these landmarks within a calendar that show that something has come to an end and something new is beginning. So, of course, every year in January, that happens as the calendar turns from one year to the next. And it's as if with the calendar turning, a switch flips and a new me can emerge, right? The past is wiped away. The new me begins. And I think that those desires to become a certain type of people is actually a really good desire. And I think this longing for temporal landmarks, this longing for these moments in time where we can make a decision or come to a resolve that we're going to change is actually a good thing. And when it comes to New Year culturally, we use this time in January to reflect personally on how we might grow as people. 
Because there's this reality that many of us recognize that there's things about ourselves that need to change. And we have pictures in our minds of the types of people we long to be. When I look at my own life, I, I think about my role as a father. And I would, I would love to be a better father. One who is more patient. One who is better at playing with my kids. My relationship with my wife. Jolene and I have been married for almost 15 years. And I'm mindful of areas we can grow. To be more patient with one another. More intentional. More engaged with one another. I think about my hobbies as a runner. And I look at 2023. And when I get an email that says run faster in 2023. I'm going to open it. Because I want to know how I can run faster in 2023. I want to be a better runner. I want to run with greater endurance at a faster pace. I think about my job as a pastor and the blessed role that I have here at TCC. And I, I think about what God has called me to in this role. And I'm aware of areas that I need to grow, where I could be more prayerful. And so I look at a new year and see it's fresh with new opportunity. I desire to be a certain type of person. So what do I do? What are we encouraged to do? We make resolutions to become these types of people. The question is, do these resolutions work? Statistically, they do not. Um, apparently, within a week, 75, only 75% of people who've made a resolution will continue in their resolution. You go for another month, and you're left with about 65% of people who've made a resolution still keeping that resolution. After about six months, we're less than half of people who've made a resolution continuing to keep that resolution. And I believe it's four to nine percent of people at the end of the year would say, my resolution actually went well. So New Year's resolutions are maybe appropriately called a to-do list for the first week of January. But friends, as my email and my news feed are trying to capitalize on the turning of a calendar, uh, TCC wants to do the same. We want to spend time in this month of January to intentionally ask the question um, of, of how do we begin this new year well? How do we step into this new year in strength? How do we step into this new year walking with Jesus in the company of others? And it, what I like about this time and those two questions of, okay, I want to be a certain type of person and how do I get there? This dream to be a certain type of person and this, this question of how am I to get there? These, these two things are good, and I believe that the Bible speaks to them. And so what we want to do this morning and for the next couple of weeks is look at how the Bible speaks to these two things. Because I believe in Scripture, it speaks to the certain types of people that we are to become. The Bible has an opinion on the type of person you are to become, and it speaks to that. But not only that, but the Bible also speaks to the ways in which you and I are to get there. And if we were to say that the Bible had a word for these two things, not only the types of people we're to become, but the way that we're to get there, I would say that that word is discipleship. That word is discipleship. And so we want to look at this uh, this morning um, and unpack this idea of what does it mean to be a disciple and how do we engage in that well uh, together. So what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? Well, when Jesus stepped onto the scene a couple thousand years ago, he was walking into a pre-existing culture and time. And in Jesus' day, there was a commonly known relationship that took place among the people of Israel. And that was the relationship between a rabbi and a disciple. A rabbi was a teacher, a teacher of the scriptures, a teacher of the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. And these rabbis had disciples. These disciples were called by the rabbi, and the idea was that the disciple would, would spend time with the rabbi and learn from them. 
We understand that this relationship between a rabbi and a disciple had four goals. The disciple had the first goal of being with their rabbi. And so they would commit themselves and devote their lives to this, this idea of presence, being around their rabbi. And so that they could, secondly, learn from their rabbi. As they spent time with them, they would receive teaching from the teacher. And they would take that in and they would learn. And not only would they learn what they taught, but they would watch how they lived their lives. And they would be learning and learning and learning from the rabbi. The third goal that they had was to become like their rabbi. So the idea of all this learning, all this education, was so that they would be formed and begin to become like the rabbi, so that the ultimate goal, that they could act like the rabbi. So when Jesus came and then started this, when we talk about disciples, this whole idea of disciples was, was not something invented by Jesus. It was a pre-existing relationship in the first century. And Jesus comes and uses this pre-existing framework for his followers. And I believe that when we look at this, we see the same invitation come to us today that came to the disciples of the first century. We're to be with our teacher, Jesus. We're to learn from him. We're to become like him. And we are to act like him. A modern day comparison, I believe, is that of an apprentice to, um, to a, a journeyman of a trade. I did my apprenticeship program several years ago, and, and I was an apprentice under someone named Craig. And so every day I would spend time with Craig. I would learn from Craig. And as I learned from him, I began working in the way that he worked. You could say that I learned to frame houses in the way of Craig. If you went and saw a house that Craig built, and then you went and looked at a house that Adam built, they would look very similar. Why? Because I was acting like Craig. Some scholars even believe that this word that we translate out of the Greek um, and we translate into English into disciple, we could properly translate it as apprentice. And when we talk about being disciples of Jesus, we might understand that better to, to think through a framework of being an apprentice of Jesus. Friends, we are to be apprentices of Jesus. We are to be with him, to learn from him, become like him and act like him. We see this reflected in our mission statement as a church where we want to know Jesus, which is to say we want to be with him. We want to learn from him. And as we learn from him, we want to walk with him, which is to apply all that we have learned into the day-to-day details of our lives. And as we do that, we want to be people who are sharing Jesus, that we take his mission, his, his pro- gospel proclamation into the world and do the things that he did acting like him. Well, we see the beginning of this process for a group of Jesus' disciples in Luke chapter 5. Jesus calling his disciples. And the story is quite remarkable. We have Jesus ministering in the area of Galilee. Uh, He's been interacting with various people. He's been performing miracles. And one morning he heads down to the the Sea of Galilee, or the, the Lake of the Gennaret. And when he gets down there, he's being flooded by a whole group of people. People want to hear what Jesus has to say, and for good reason. I mean, the, according to Luke, Jesus is so pressed upon that he feels like, okay, I, I need to acknowledge these people, I need to teach these people, but I can't do it just standing here in front of them. So he sees a group of fishermen who are cleaning their nets. And they're cleaning their nets because they've been working all night. And Jesus comes to them with, I believe, what would have been a very annoying request. Perhaps you're here this morning coming off of a night shift and you're, you're sitting here maybe feeling very tired. 
Um, Imagine someone coming to you and asking a big favor. That's what Jesus is doing to Peter. But Peter knows Jesus. He's been around Jesus. Jesus just healed his mother-in-law. And uh, Peter says, okay, Jesus, um, you can use my boat. So Jesus gets into the boat. They push the boat a little offshore. And Jesus begins to teach from Peter's boat. I can just imagine Peter wondering when this sermon would be over so that he could go home and take a nap. But when Jesus finishes his message and the people kind of disperse, Jesus doesn't give Peter that luxury. Rather, he kind of insults him. He turns to this professional fisherman and says, Peter, let's go back out into the water. And I want you to try fishing again. And Peter's response to Jesus is like, Jesus, we've been fishing all night. And we haven't had a catch. And it was actually foolish to fish during the day because of the, the way the light came down over the water, the fishes could see the net. So here we have Peter, a professional fisherman, has been fishing his entire life. And just some teacher, some, some Bible school nerd shows up and says, hey, I'm going to show you how to fish. Peter probably would have been a little insulted. But again, Peter kind of knows Jesus. He's been around Jesus for a while. And he says, fine, let's do it. So they head out into the water and a miracle takes place. In verse 6, we read, when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other side of of the lake and told them to come and help them. And they came and they filled both boats so that they began to sink. A miraculous catch a fish. And we read this in, in Luke chapter 5, verse 8, that when Simon Peter saw this, he fell down at, at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. This account is very interesting. And I want to notice, I want us just to point out a couple of things here. The first is this declaration of Peter, of, of Jesus being Lord. Earlier in this story, when Jesus asks Peter to take, to, to take the boat out, back out into the water, Jesus calls him master. He clearly had respect for Jesus. But after this miracle, his confession of Jesus changes from master to Lord. When we look at the word master, you would have been saying, well, I respect this person. It's someone who should be held in high regard. But to use the word Lord is to say that Jesus was a ruler, that he was one of authority, That he was worthy of reverence and worship. What's even more interesting about this is that in the gospel of Luke, the word Lord, up to this point in the first four chapters of Luke, the word Lord, guess how many times it's been used? Ten? No, not even close. Twenty? No, not quite. Thirty times. The author of Luke has used the word Lord thirty times, and every single time it's in reference to God. He's always referencing God. So here when Peter calls Jesus Lord... There's a lot happening here in this moment. Peter is speaking to the reality that Jesus is divine and therefore worthy of Peter's submission, worthy of Peter's reverence, worthy of his worship. This declaration flows from Peter's self-revelation that his own brokenness, his own issues, his own failings, the fact that he is unworthy, that he should not have a God-type person in his boat, leads to this declaration. Jesus, I don't stack up. Jesus, I'm not good enough. Jesus, I am insignificant. Depart from me. But it's in this place of brokenness. 
It's in this place of acknowledgement that Jesus is holy and Peter is not, that Jesus brings this profound invitation to this group of fishermen. And we read in Luke that also we're with, with Peter, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon, and Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. In both Matthew and Mark, this is summarized as Jesus saying to them, follow me. And I will make you become fishers of men. Jesus calls Peter and these other fishermen. He calls them out of fear and into life with Jesus. Out of their own way of life and into Jesus' way of life. He calls them to come on this discipleship journey of being with Jesus, learning from Jesus, becoming like Jesus and acting like him. And their response we read in verse 11. When they had brought in their boats to land, they left everything and they followed him. They leave it all to follow Jesus, to enter into this relationship that they would have been well aware of, one of being with Jesus, learning from Jesus, becoming like him, and ultimately acting like him. And we could go on reading in the Gospels of how this story unpacks of these disciples, these men engaging on this journey of becoming like Jesus. Jesus eventually sends them out and they go and they cast out demons. They heal the sick. And when we get to Luke's other writing in the New Testament, the book of Acts, it begins with this powerful phrase that in my first record, O O Theophilus, I told you about all that Jesus began to do and teach. Now, what's so interesting about that phrase, began to do and teach, is that Luke is implying that what he's about to write is the continuation of all that Jesus taught and did. But if we're reading the New Testament, we're saying, wait a minute, Luke, Jesus ascended into heaven. He's gone. But Luke's saying, well, no, no, no. But his work, his teaching, his ministry, his life is being carried out in the work of these disciples. The book of Acts is the continuation of the work of Jesus and through the disciples by the power of the Holy Spirit. The disciples had been with Jesus. They had learned from Jesus. They had become like Jesus and were now acting like Jesus. Do you see this flow? Do you see this testimony? It is powerful. It is beautiful. Now, friends, Scripture calls us disciples. Jesus calls us disciples. So you and I, We too should seek to be with Jesus, to learn from him, to become like him, and to do what he did. That should be our goal. To be with him. To learn from him. To become like him. To do what he did. Or in TCC's language, to know Jesus, to walk with Jesus, and share Jesus. We recognize that as we walk with him, as we adopt his way of life, that we will become more like him. Friends, that is the direction we should be headed. So in the midst of all the invitations of January, of all the invitations for us to become certain types of people, to become a faster runner, a better eater, someone who's more in shape, to become a better husband, a better wife, a better father or or mother to your children, to be a better employee, to have a better financial profile, in all of these invitations, do not allow this one most important invitation to be drowned out. Do not drown out the invitation of Jesus. Because to you, to me, to all of us, he is saying, come, follow me. Come, 
follow me. And friends, as we respond to this invitation, it changes absolutely everything. And I believe that that invitation comes to you no matter your season of life, no matter your stage of life. To a parent who's at home full time with their kids, Jesus is coming to you and say, come, follow me. To you who work as accountants, engineers, doctors, and lawyers in our city, Jesus comes to you and he says, come, follow me. To you who educate the next generation and work as teachers, he comes to you and says, come, follow me. To those of you who are retired and who are outside of your careers and and have a lot of flexibility in your schedules, he says to you, come and follow me. To those of you who maybe struggle with chronic illness and find yourself in a state where you can't function the way that you used to, the invitation of Jesus remains, come Follow me. Be with me. Learn from me. Become like me. Do what I did in the world. Last week I made a comment that the Christian life may be summed up as living under the lordship of Jesus and by the authority of scripture. Friends, this is the posture of a disciple of Jesus. That we come to him and we bring him absolutely everything. That we come to him and we call him Lord as Peter made that confession. And then when he says, come follow me, we say, absolutely, Lord. I'm with you. I'm coming. I want to learn from you. I want to become like you. I want to act, with, act like you because I believe that you are the Lord. And it's by your ways that I want to walk. And our resolutions, the things that we resolve, in Janu- resolve to in January should be under the same posture of looking at Jesus as our Lord and the scriptures as our authority. Well, all of this is really great. Talking about being disciples and followers of Jesus, it's like, yes, I get my head around that. I love that. But what does it look like? How do we move forward as disciples of Jesus? For the parent who's at home with their kids, what does it look like to live out life as a disciple of Jesus? For those of you who are working full-time jobs and managing family, what does it look like to follow Jesus? For those of you who are retired, what does it look like to follow Jesus? Well, I think we see a couple things in our text. The first is the importance of us admitting our need. Like Peter, we come and we admit our need for him. We identify in ourselves our sin, our brokenness, our failings. We declare that Jesus knows better. And don't you love that? When, when Peter, this like experienced lifelong fisherman, he's like, no, Jesus, we're not going to catch any fish if we go out right now. That doesn't make any sense, Jesus. He's like, let's, let's just do it. Peter had to admit that perhaps Jesus knew better. And because he trusted that Jesus knew better, he experienced abundance. Friends, we need to declare that Jesus knew better. We need to acknowledge him as Lord and ruler and leader of our lives. And we need to commit ourselves to following him. And as Peter, Andrew, James, and John left everything to follow Jesus, we too leave anything that would keep Jesus from being Lord over our lives. Now, I don't believe necessarily that Jesus is calling us to abandon our careers and our jobs in the same way that he called Peter and James and John to do that. But perhaps there's an ideology or a practice or a desire that we have that is inconsistent with Jesus' way. And maybe Jesus is calling you to abandon that ideology, that practice, that desire to leave it at the lake shore and come to Jesus and learn these from him. 
So first, we admit our needs. Secondly, we intentionally follow Jesus. Um, TCC, to help us flesh this out a bit, we have this discipleship framework that originated from um, theologian and philosopher Dallas Willard. Um, but we summarize it in this way. We have like a, a graphic for it and stuff that I didn't want to get into this morning. But um, intentional engagement with biblical teaching, so that's one, community two, and practices, um, empowered by the Holy Spirit over time. So if you're to really simplify it, what does it mean to follow Jesus? How do we practically engage as disciples? Um, if we really devote our lives to these three things, biblical teaching, community, and practices, empowered by the Spirit over time, we believe that it'll lead to us becoming uh, more like Jesus. That is our conviction um, as a church. But well, the one I want to emphasize here this morning is the importance of practices. And to say practices, you might call it spiritual habits, spiritual disciplines, whatever you want to call it. But practices are so important because when we look at practices, we're asking the question, what were Jesus's practices? How did Jesus engage in life? And then how might we do the same thing? How do we engage in life as Jesus engaged in life? So we look at his practices and say, we should practice these same things. Uh, Dallas Willard looks at how this progresses, and he writes that discipleship is the process of becoming who Jesus would be if he were you. Discipleship is the process of becoming who Jesus would be if he were you. And I love this. So imagine, imagine, you know, say you're retired, you're waking up in the morning, you don't have a lot going on that day. Jesus waking up in your home, retired, not a lot going on that day. What does the day look like? What would Jesus do in that situation if he were you? When we look at your, your role maybe as an accountant, or a doctor, or a lawyer, or an engineer, whatever you find yourself doing day to day, if Jesus was in your office sitting at your desk, how would he engage in that work as if he were you? And we need the practices to get that reality into us. Through the practices, we be with Jesus. Through the practices, we learn from Jesus. As we employ the practices, we become like him in order to act like him in the world. Unfortunately, practices are easily ignored. In the tradition I grew up in, which was a, a, you know, within this uh, association of churches, and uh, I don't think that this was at all intentional, but the practices of the Christian life were kind of reduced to attend church on Sunday, be a part of some sort of midweek group, Read your Bible every day, pray, and evangelize when you have opportunity. And these were kind of the five practices. Now, these are all really good things. But the problem with this dichotomy is that these five things became like the spiritual part of my life. And I left it over here. But when it came to me engaging in life as a student, when it came to me engaging in life in my relationships, my hobbies, my interests, it was like, well, as long as I have these five things good over here, I can do whatever I want in this other area of my life. But that's not lordship. That's not discipleship. That's not following Jesus. Following Jesus is saying that these practices are the core part of who I am and what I'm doing. And everything else flows out of them. So that when I engage relationally, I'm asking the question, how would Jesus engage in this relationship? When I engage in my hobbies, even as a runner, how do I do that more in the way of Jesus? Maybe that sounds absurd. I think it's called discipleship. And over time, we become more like Jesus. Now, friends, as we begin this new year, I want to invite you to think about these practices and to engage more intentionally as a disciple um, by adopting a rule of life. Consider being more intentional in following Jesus by adopting a rule 
of life. Now, what is this? Um, Our staff at TCC have been thinking about uh, rule of life over the last couple of years. Uh, Last year in January and the January before that, um, we, we did not really, we did like a message where we talked about rule of life in both of those contexts. Um, and so we're doing that again this year. And we've been indebted to Bridgetown Church and the work of Pastor John Mark Comer and his team for their work in helping us uh, to understand the value of a rule of life. And they define it um, in this way, that a rule of life is a schedule and set of practices and relational rhythms that create space for us to be with Jesus to become like Jesus, and to do what he would do if he were us. So if TCC ripped this off, we would say uh, to know Jesus, walk with Jesus, and share Jesus, right? Um, and so the, the whole idea of a, a rule of life is creating this intentional structure so that we can engage in life as Jesus engaged in life. The word rule uh, gives a bit of help. Um, when we look at the origins of this word in rule of life, we get the picture of a trellis. And a trellis, of course, is something that gardeners use. Um, You would put a a trellis um, on a a plant of grapes or something like this, and the grapes would grow up the trellis. Without the trellis, the grapes would just be left on the ground. They wouldn't flourish. They would not grow in the way that they were meant to. But for them to grow and flourish and be fruitful and abundant, they need a structure to hold them up and to help them. And so we take that metaphor and we apply it to our lives. Um, Ken Shigematsu, author of a book called God in My Everything, writes on the rule of life. And he just calls it a structure supporting a life patterned on on proven practices that help people cultivate their character and contribute to the world. And so it's this idea of these adding these structures. And Pastor Norb's going to speak to this more next week. But it's asking questions about how do we engage in life relationally? spiritually, emotionally, physically, intellectually, in a way that we flourish and move more in the direction of becoming more like Jesus. A rule of life is crafted by examining various areas of our lives and putting specific practices or rhythms in place to open up space for the Holy Spirit to work in our lives and move through us and move us more towards Christ-likeness. Now, John Mark Homer um, gives some help on helping us think through this. Um, he says that a rule, is, a rule of life is not a law. And that's one of the temptations. As soon as we start talking about practices in the church, we can get very um, kind of on edge about, well, no, it's, it's all about um, our salvation is through grace. It's not about works. There's nothing we, we need to do. Um, I, I don't disagree with that theologically in any way, shape, or form. What I'm arguing here is that for us to move in a direction of becoming more like Jesus— We need to open up space in our lives for the Holy Spirit to work to that end. And so what are we doing to make that happen? So in this sense, it's not a law. Um, If you don't have a rule of life, you're not disobedient. If you're not being intentional in that, um, it's not like like you've broken some sort of sin. Um, This is not explicit in Scripture, but I would argue that there is um, a lot implicit about it. That as we read the New Testament— We have over and over again evidences that point to us living a certain type of life in a certain way. And to organize that, we would call it a rule of life. But to to argue this difference between a law and um, a law and a rule, um, John Mark uh, points to these these ideas of it being um, external, not self-generated. That it is impersonal versus, sorry, external versus self-generated, impersonal versus relationally based. 
external, and then um, justice versus outcome-based. So what is he getting at with all of these? Right outside this window, we have Town Center Boulevard. Now, on Town Center Boulevard, the law is that you can only drive 40 kilometers an hour. That law is external. It's coming from the outside. You're being told how fast you can drive. Uh, You do not get on Town Center Boulevard and have a self-generated rule about how fast can I drive, right? Um, If you did that, you'd get in trouble. Uh, Secondly, it's the, the, the law of 40 kilometers an hour is impersonal. It doesn't care who you are. It doesn't care if you're driving a car that would keep you from getting in an accident. They don't care about that. It's impersonal. It doesn't matter who you are. The law applies to you. Versus, in a rule of life, we would say it's relational. That as you craft a rule of life, you need to consider who you are. Your wiring. Are you an introverted? Are you extroverted? Um, are you someone who needs a lot of alone time or not? Um, these, what are the limitations that you're experiencing in a season? Uh, these are all good questions to ask. And then finally, it's justice versus outcome-based. So the law is, you know, justice. It's, it's right or wrong, black or white. If you get caught speeding down Town Center Boulevard, uh, you're going to be written a ticket. Where uh, rule of life, we're looking at the outcome. And so when we look at the outcome, um, this is really important. Like the practices, a rule of life is not about the structure itself. But it's about making room for deeper union with God and expanding on our capacity to love others more deeply. Now this is really important because if the structure that you adopt, the practices that you use, or the rule that you craft do not lead you into becoming more like Jesus, you need to throw it out and try again to start something new. It's so important for us um, to, to respect our season of life to respect our God-given limitations. Um, and, and as we employ these things, hopefully uh, these practices move us into being more like Jesus. But if we're ignoring some of our limitations or our season of life, we might create a rule of life or a practice that becomes an end in and of itself. And that is not its purpose. Or I would say that if we're creating a rule of life and it's not working and it's becoming an end within itself, it's possible that we're actually trying to serve two masters. That we're trying to follow Jesus as well as follow something else. And that just doesn't work. In the words of Jesus, either you'll hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. So for a rule of life to flourish, moving us into the conformity of Jesus, it needs to be singularly focused. Uh, For me, a rule of life is a powerful tool that's helped me um, devote myself to loving others more. Devoted, help me be more intentional about following Jesus in our demanding, loud, and busy world. I recognize in my own life that I need systems and I need help to apply the practices of Jesus to my life. And I rightly need to assess my life and make decisions to put into place intentional practices and rhythms to safeguard me from forces that are at work to keep me from becoming like Jesus. So I have found a rule of life very valuable. A rule of life is a way that I live out a passage like 2 Peter uh, chapter 1, verse 5-7, to 7, where Peter writes, For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, virtue with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. And it's interesting, if you go on reading here, Peter says these qualities are yours and they're increasing Uh, They keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Peter's calling us to make every effort. 
A rule of life is a way that I make every effort. A rule of life also forces me to pause and to see how pre-existing rhythms and patterns in my life actually work against me becoming more like Jesus. More on that in a second. A rule of life also helps me to be incredibly intentional in walking with Jesus. Some examples from my own rule of life, there's obvious ones. Daily time in the Word, a weekly Sabbath. My wife and I are looking at 2023 as an opportunity to implement more intentionality in our relationship with daily, week, daily and weekly um, touch points, um, as well as trying to get, get away from the kids every once in a while uh, more intentionally. These types of things get worked into a rule of life. Norb, again, will be speaking to these more in detail next week. Now, if your temptation is to resist this whole idea of rule of life, here is a sobering truth. You already have a rule of life. You already have a rule of life. Something or someone is already Lord of your life. In a famous quote uh, by philosopher David Foster Wallace, he says, In the day-to-day trenches of adult life, there is actually no such thing as atheism. There is no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. So we already, all of us, have a rule of life. You already have practices in place, rhythms in your life that are moving you towards a certain end. There's some philosophy, some ideology, some vision of the good life that's pulling you forward. Be it riches, popularity, belonging, power, influence, or the simplicity of comfort. You are already following someone. The question is, who is it and where are they taking you? So we need to ask this question, is it Jesus or is it someone else? Who am I following? What does my current rule of life communicate about my discipleship to Jesus? This is where I want to invite you to begin on this journey of rule of life. I hope that in this time I have um, kind of captured you a little bit on this vision of discipleship, that Jesus desires that you become more like him, which is to say that you become a person of love. Jesus desires that you become more like him, which is to say that you become the type of person who is overflowing with the fruits of the Spirit. That if someone looked at your life, they'd say, man, they are loving, they are joy-filled, they are peaceful, they are patient, they are kind, they are faithful. They have a lot of self-control. That's the type of person Jesus wants you to be. The type of person who isn't anxious, who isn't carried away by the cares of the world. But the type of person who knows that they are deeply loved by God and live out of that union with him. Jesus wants you to be the type of person who sees needs in the world and, and responds to them with lots of tact. Jesus wants you to be the type of person that where you go, people are healed. That the words that you speak to others is gospel, which is good news. That when you speak with others, you speak with joy and invite them into more. Jesus is inviting you to be the type of person that I actually believe each and every one of us desires to be at the core of who we are. So are we willing to follow him? So where we want to start in this month of looking at a rule of life is first to identify your existing rule of life. We need to identify our existing rule of life. 
To go back to our text this morning, if Jesus came onto your metaphoric fishing boat, what is he seeing? If Jesus were to walk around with you for the week and document all that you did, what kind of a life would he see? So this is an invitation for us to consider what is. What are your current habits? What are your current practices? Each of you should have been given a handout uh, when you came into the building this morning. We don't typically hand things out, so this should have stood out to you. Do we all have one of these? No, people are looking at their neighbor. Did you get one when you came in? I didn't get one. I gave it to you. Where'd you put it? I don't know. Um, So we should all have one of these. There's more at the Connection Center at the back. And this is an invitation for you this week to engage in an exercise of what we are calling um, taking a, a time journal. If you're at home this morning, you can access this on our website. Uh, There's a tab at the top that says resources and then group resources. And in that group resources page, uh, there's one of the first boxes you can click uh, will open this PDF. It also went out in Norb's email uh, this morning. But this exercise is, um, on the one side, there's a bit of an explanation um, of what this is and a bit of a recap of what I just said. And then on the back, uh, this might totally overwhelm some of you, uh, but it is a 24-hour Monday or Sunday to Saturday calendar. And what we want you to do this week is to fill this in. Um, You don't have to use this one. You can create one on your own. Um, But the invitation is to pay attention. What are you doing? How are you spending your time? Take note of how much am I on my phone? How much am I looking at social media? How much am I in my car driving? What am I listening to while I'm driving? How, what am I exposing myself to day in and day out? And the, the encouragement this week is to not dissect this too much, but just to observe what is. And then next week, we'll maybe bring some help and some good questions to ask about it as you assess what is. Um, but we invite you to, to do this. Identify your existing rule of life. What this practice may reveal is what you may be holding on to that's actually keeping you from following Jesus. And again, Jesus' invitation is to come. And do what I love about Jesus. However you fill this out, whatever this looks like, it might look very spiritual and it might not look spiritual at all. It might make you look like, you might even wonder, am I a Christian? Like, ah, what's going on? However you fill this out, Jesus comes to you in this place, in this time, with the invitation to come and follow me. The second thing I want us to think about as we begin this journey is that we need to walk in the company of others. Again, what have we been saying for the last five months? When Jesus calls us to follow him, He is also implying, it's not just an invitation to follow him, but it's an invitation to community. Peter was not called alone. Peter was called into this group um, to follow Jesus in the company of others. Historically, the rule of life was used in monastic communities. And there was one rule that was shared by a large group. Uh, It was lived out in community. Now, down the road, TCC may introduce a rule of life for our church. Uh, We're not there right now. But I want to invite you uh, to consider who might you share your rule of life with? Who might you process some of this conversation with? Even around the tables this morning uh, during brunch, who can you talk to a little bit about this idea of rule of life and practices and following Jesus? 
Uh, there's lots of opportunities. Um, if you're not in a midweek group, we have signups at the back at the Connection Center. Uh, there's some openings uh, for, um, for community groups, if that's something you're interested in. And again, it's just a space for us to walk with Jesus in the company of others. Now, some of you this morning, you're nailing this stuff. You might not call it a rule of life, but maybe your rule of life is exceptional. Um, some of you have been walking with Jesus for decades and you have a wealth of knowledge and wisdom of what it means and looks like to walk with Jesus. My encouragement to you is not to brush this off, but to hear the invitation to walk alongside others. How might you come alongside those of us who are not as much like Jesus as you are? Your wisdom on marriage, finances, your wisdom on life with God and loving neighbor. We need one another. When I think of my own role in, in life, I, I need those who are further down the road than me to help me walk more with Jesus. So please prayerfully consider how you might do that this month and in the months ahead. I'm not sure how you are hearing this this morning. I invite the worship team to join me on the platform. Perhaps you've never considered following Jesus, but there's just something about Jesus that's appealing to you. I want you to hear his invitation this morning. He's inviting you. Come, follow me. Come, be with me. Come, learn from me. Become like me. Do what I did in the world. Don't leave this morning without responding to that invitation. Or perhaps this morning, Jesus has moved from being Lord in your life to something else. And you don't need to do a time journal to be aware of that. You recognize in your own life that there was a time where you were passionately following Jesus and you know that presently it's just not reality. I want you as well to hear the invitation. Come, follow me. Jesus is constantly inviting us to come in our mess, in our sin, in our brokenness. Hear him inviting you back. Hear inviting you to come with your sin, with your baggage to receive grace and restoration. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you that in a world that has no shortage of invitations for us to become certain types of people, you are inviting us to become more like you. But Lord, we confess that your invitation is easily drowned out by other ambitions and passions. And Lord, perhaps that is not our intention. And so we invite your spirit this morning just to move us closer to you. Lord, help us to hear your invitation to come and to follow. And Lord, as we think about what that actually looks like in our day-to-day -day life, we pray for grace. God, as we think about what following you looks like in our homes, our workplaces, in our relationships, in the context of our hobbies, Lord, may we know your grace. Help us to hear your voice. Help us to respond. But Lord, thank you for your invitation to become more like you. Help us to be more like you, Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen.